0: Well, if the polls are correct, Joe Biden stands a good chance of soon becoming the former president of the United States. To solidify his hopes of announcing his resignation from the highest office in the land, Biden has unveiled the Biden agenda for women. In a statement written in Drool and released to a particularly large cockroach in the corner of his basement, Biden said, quote, It's a disgrace that this country treats women unfairly when they make the place look so attractive and just smell incredibly great. When you come up behind them and stick your nose deep... Deep in their velvety hair and then take a great big sniff. It's like a rocket ship to heaven. And yet they still make less per hour for answering the phone than a man makes for parachuting into a burning oil rig and fighting the fire until he dies. So today I'm announcing the Biden agenda for women, which of course is not my personal agenda for women, which is a fantasy that would blow your socks off. But that nice lady named Jill, who follows me around all the time, says I'm not supposed to talk about that. And it's possible she's my wife, assuming I'm the same person I was yesterday. Unquote. Speaking to the family dog, who may or may not be a plush toy, Biden listed the agenda's provisions, saying, quote, one, we will tackle health care inequities. It's completely unfair that women come down with diseases men don't even get, like their periods, and that thing where they cry all the time and won't listen to reason. B. We will end violence against women by issuing an executive order telling people: if you're going to punch someone, punch a man. Four. We will end unequal pay, so women basketball players will earn as much as men, even though not one, no one watches what they're doing. And first and foremost, I would like to announce that I'm resigning the presidency. Or isn't it time yet? Unquote. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I go hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winning, also singing, hunky dunky Shape tipsy topsy. The world is a biddies It's a wonderful day. Hoorah hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurra, hooray, hooray! Oh, hooray, hooray. Alright, we're back. Where else do you hear jokes like that, right? <laughs> you have, to, you have to go on the Andrew Claven YouTube channel and subscribe so you can get all my openings uncut and un. Injured, uh, before I'm carried off and arrested. Uh, also, if you leave a comment there and the comment is reasonably intelligent, we may read it on the air just to l- lift the uh, quality of what we're saying here. Uh, we have one today from Megan D who says, I blame Clavin uh, for everything. His satire is so brilliant, it took over reality. <laughs> well, thank you, Megan. Unfortunately, the fact check is uh, it's reality that took over my satire. I was just making jokes. I didn't know they were going to actually do the stuff I was talking about. A lot of times on the show, I talk about the sheer corrupt dishonesty of the press, and we're going to talk a lot about that today, but we're going to put it in context of what it really is about. Yesterday, I was talking about some amazing examples of dishonesty as reporters tied their souls in knots to keep any truth escaping about the disorder and violence now consuming Democrat cities. But while it's hard to imagine anything more corrupt than journalists dedicated to spreading lies, there's something they do that's even more harmful, which is spreading Vice. During the present pandemic, I've stood consistently between those who say we should shut down forever and those who say it's a sin to wear a mask, even if you're indoors in a crowded room. My feeling was always we should make sure our hospitals can handle the traffic, then go about our business and open up with reasonable precautions, always keeping first and foremost our central mission to save the Clavin, since the earth and all that's in it is a function of my imagination. And when I go, I take everything with me. But even though I'm not opposed to a little caution here and there, if I had to choose between those who live fearlessly and those who live recklessly, I would choose the reckless because recklessness is closer to the virtue of courage and fear is closer to the vice of cowardice. But the press are in favor of fear. They want you to be a coward. It serves their financial interests because it makes people tune in, it serves their political interests if they can keep the economy shut down and blame Trump for the fallout, and it makes them feel important because theoretically they have the information you, your fearful self, need to hear. But the thing is, while courage is not a good in itself, it has to be directed toward a good end for courage to be good, cowardice is in itself a bad. Without some courage, no other virtue can thrive. Without some courage, there can be no freedom no truth-telling, no enterprise. You can't even be an adult, really. I mean, it's when you learn to be courageous enough to go out on your own that you start to become an adult. The press is the enemy of the people because they have been corrupted by leftism and have become active spreaders of disinformation in the name of leftism. But they're also spreading vice, in this case, the vice of cowardice, which is the cancer of the body politic. They are truly enemies of everything this country is about, which is a terrible shame because we need a press. However, we gotta face the truth in order to change it. You know, right now you may feel like there's not a lot to smile about, but good things are coming down the pike. Soon you will be having this, you'll be outdoors, you'll be having you'll be vaccinated, you'll have this tremendous grin on your face. You want to look good, and that's why you need Candid. Candid clear aligners are comfortable, removable, and totally invisible, unlike wire braces, so you can transform your smile without anyone even noticing. Plus, your treatment is prescribed and monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. Candid only works with orthodontists, never general dentists like other companies, and with some of those other companies, you may never hear from a doctor as you go through treatment, which is... Crazy. With Candid, your treatment includes remote monitoring by the same orthodontist who created your plan, so you never have to wonder how you're doing. You will always know. The average Candid treatment is just six months, and you'll start seeing results way before then and cost an average of 50% less than Invisalign. Ready to take the first step toward getting your dream smile? Then get started today. From the comfort of your own home with Candid's risk-free starter kit and $75 off, go to CandidCO.com slash Clavin and use code Claven. That's CandidCO.com slash Clavin, code Clavin for your risk-free starter kit and $75 off. CandidCO.com slash Clavin, code Clavin. How do you spell Clavin, right? That's what you want to know. It's K L. When you have that big smile, you want to say it's K L A V A N. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I just make it look this easy. I know it's amazing. You're sitting there going, how does he do that? Who knows? It's just an instant. It's just a gift. It's a gift. The mailbag is tomorrow. Go subscribe to dailywire.com. If you haven't, you want, that's what you want to sound like at the end of your day. You want to sound like that. You will. If you get your question in the mailbag, the way you do that is you go to dailywire.com, subscribe, hit the podcast button, hit the Andrew Claven podcast, find that little mailbag symbol. You can ask me anything you want. You can ask me about your personal life. You can ask about religion. You can ask about politics. And all my answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life. And many of you say, will it change my life for the better? Shut up. Just send in your questions now. Oh, and by the way, if you want to send in a video video question while I'm being so polite, if you want to send in a video question, please do. We love them, but keep them under a minute. Uh, We won't uh, favor video questions over non-video, but we do like to see your face if you want. And uh, just keep the question under a minute, please, because we don't have time to edit them. Um, one of the ways I've just noticed, uh, actually, last night I was thinking about the fact that one of the ways the show has changed is that I used to feel it was one of the missions of the show to point out the bias of the press, but that's become, become kind of redundant because now they're just Openly lying. I mean, now when you see them saying there's these mostly mostly peaceful riots, or that wonderful AP line yesterday that the, the fires and rocks were being thrown as as a as a peaceful riot intensified, the peace just got so intense that it became violent. But it was still peace. It was just such such intense peace that it was violently peaceful. So when you see that, you don't even have to point out the bias. It's just open. But there's a reason the press has become more and more. Open And it's because they've been losing control. And we've talked about this a lot. I always make that uh, joke about the singing, the end of singing in the rain when they open up the curtain and the audience can see that the person pretending to sing isn't really the person singing. There's someone singing in back of her. uh, But there's this moment when the person pretending to sing doesn't realize she's been exposed. And that's what's happened to the press. But now they do realize they do realize and they're fighting back by essentially demonizing anybody and destroying anybody uh, who disagrees with the elite's uh, opinion with the elites opinion, what they call the clerisy, the clerisy, the intellectual elites, the people who are the experts. And the thing is that the chief, it's not just about facts, it's also about values. And the chief value, the chief value that, they, that is under attack is the idea of moral truth, that there are some things that are true, that the human individual is a machine for detecting those things, that he can be wrong. He has to prove his detection with reason. But that has been a threat to the powers that be, to the elites from the very beginning of Western civilization. It, it, the destroying people who believe in moral truth is in a way what got Western civilization started, and that's where I want to begin. let us I talk about this a lot. I'm sure I've talked about it on the show. I certainly talk about it when I give speeches why is telling truth such a problem? Why is the concept of truth? It's not which truth. It's not what is true. It's the very concept that some things are morally true. And I often talk about the fact that the, that the West is built on the shoulders of two men. I call them the telamons of the West. And I do that because I'm the only person alive who knows what a telamon is. But if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen, uh, pillars on a building that are shaped, uh, like women, those are called Caryatids. But if they're shaped like men, they're called telemons and they're holding up the bill. They, seem to be holding up the building. They're just really pillars. And Socrates and Jesus are the twin pillars of a civilization that basically comes from Athens and from Jerusalem and flows together into Rome, creating the, the modern West in the, during the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. And both Socrates and Jesus, they have many things in common, but the key thing they have in common is two of the key things they have in common, where they both lived in a time when the popular intellectual idea was, that, was relativism, that there was no truth. They both said, no, there is a truth. But it's hard to find, and you have to approach it by half measures, Uh, but it really is there. And both of them were judicially murdered by the state. Both Socrates and Jesus were both killed by the state. And and the thing about it is is that the the people, the, the elite, the government, the majority, the religious people, All were in favor of killing them. I mean, it wasn't like uh, they were torn off by bandits. They were killed by the society they were in. In one case, a democratic society. In the other, a deeply religious society run by a, you know, former republic but now an empire. They were killed by everybody. All the institutions killed these two men who said there was such a thing as truth. And they both located truth in certain ways. Because they said the truth is hard to find, moral truth is hard to find, Socrates would simply ask questions, causing the accepted wisdom to collapse as he asked the questions. Well, of course they killed him. Of course they had to kill him because their elite power was based on what they—that on the fact that that w- what they were saying was true. And if, if what they were saying changed, that was okay because they had the sophists, the traveling intellectuals who would come along and say, the important thing is not what the truth is, it's that you can make an argument. You can argue the good cause or you can argue the less good cause, doesn't matter. And these were the guys that Socrates actually tore apart with his questions. Jesus basically said the truth is can be located in a human being, that the logos can be embodied, the word of God can be embodied. And that is what so empowered the idea of the individual in the West, the idea that the individual uh, is as the vessel of truth. And, and, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm not one of these people who likes to use science in this way, but it is true that science has shown that our moral sense is indeed a sense that we sense what's true first, and then we Uh, Martial reason to prove it's true, and if it falls apart without with reason, then we go back and we recheck our moral instincts. But of course, of course, this is a bad deal for those in power. They want to be the arbiters of what is right, what is good, what is true, and they don't want these little individuals coming along and saying, "No, you know, you're everybody's wrong but me. Everybody is wrong but me." You know, that's why we can't let. Twitter and Facebook and Google censor guys like Alex Jones, not because Alex Jones isn't a buffoon, he is, but we don't give them the power to decree who is Alex Jones and who isn't. We will make that up for our minds up for ourselves. That's why I feel they should be absolutely destroyed in terms of their monopolies and they should not be allowed uh, to censor people. And that's why we don't have censorship. But like the the thing is now part of this leftist movement, is the idea that objectivity itself is under question? Remember, they start with the idea that there is no moral truth. It's all about the narrative. Uh, it's who, who, what is the ruling narrative, and that narrative is not subject to objective. Reason it's not subject to reasoning; it's not subject to any kind of objective proofs. And I'll just read you this little piece from HuffPost, which I, I read because it is actually states clearly this idea. But this idea is prevalent in the left. He says concepts. This is P. L. Thomas, a professor of education at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina, he says concepts and terms such as objectivity, scientific, valid, reliable, and rationality prove to be extremely powerful in academia and scholarship. Yet the great irony of that power is that these concepts and terms are a veneer. For maintaining white male power. So, objectivity, rationality, uh, valid scientific, these are all just white male power in operation. So, why is it? You know, we we keep pointing out that the powerful are supporting these riots. That corporations are supporting people who Black Lives Matter, a Marxist organization that would destroy Amazon.com, and yet Amazon.com is sending me. Uh, you know, if you liked uh, William Wordsworth, uh, you'll love White Fragility. They're peddling this stuff to me. Netflix peddling this stuff to me, even though Black Lives Matter is an avowedly Marxist organization that would destroy Netflix, that would destroy Amazon.com. So why is it they support this? Well, you know, there's a wonderful, wonderful op-ed today in the Wall Street Journal, one of the best op-eds of the year. It's by Orrin Hatch, uh, obviously the former uh, senator from uh, Utah, and he now has the Orrin Hatch Foundation. And he talks about the fact that we are living in an information revolution, which he says is arguably more disruptive— uh, then Gutenberg's invention of the printing press. Before Gutenberg, one narrative of reality predominated Western society. By democratizing access to the written word, the press overthrew Rome's monopoly on ideas and allowed competing interpretations to proliferate. This is why they burned people at the stake for translating the gospels. It put the truth into the individual's hands and said, oh, you have a right to interpret this through your inner light, right? So he says "This, this the printing press took Europe from the Middle Ages to the modern era. It precipitated the Reformation the Renaissance, and the American founding by democratizing information. He says, now the internet gives nearly everyone his own virtual printing press. A single social media post can reach millions in seconds with so many competing sources of information. It's no wonder a shared reality is fractured. Just as Gutenberg's invention threatened to undermine the religious authority of the time, the internet threatens to undermine our secular clerisy. The journalists' academics and policymakers who make up the expert class in America and elsewhere in the West. And think about this. Think how often you hear Republicans being attacked for not following the experts. It's science. And of course, it's only one science and it's only one kind of expert. It's only the experts who preach fear. It's only the science about, you know, the climate is going to fall on our heads. It's not the science about babies in the womb or the differences between men and women. Never, don't pay attention to that science. It's only, it is the religion of the clerisy. It is the, the theory that keeps the powerful power in power. Just like the Catholic church had a domination, a monopoly on the truth, that was broken by the Reformation. Now, this secular clerisy, the secular elite, is losing its grip on power, and that's what you're watching. You're not watching people rioting in the streets for justice. I know they keep telling you that, because they're the elite. You're watching people who think who knows, they think they're being anarchists, they think they're being uh, hip, they think they're being cool, but they are the tools of the powerful. They're the tools of the powerful fighting the spirit of truth. So he says he says, the uh this the Internet has this is Warren Hatch again, he says the Internet has destroyed the expert class, the monopoly of truth of the expert class in America and elsewhere in the West. He says, for decades, they have served an important gatekeeping role wielding tremendous power over public opinion. But the Internet makes it possible to circumvent the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers' desperate attempts to slow the unfolding revolution and keep control are proving downright draconian. The spirit of the Inquisition is alive and well in today's cancel culture. The objective is not to root out nonbelievers in the church, but ideological heritage in newsrooms and universities. These institutions are supposed to be bastions of free speech. But in 2020, any journalist or scholar who strays from progressive orthodoxy is ripe for cancellation. Uh, You know, it's really interesting when you hear them talk about cancel culture. They say there's no cancel culture. It's just it's just you're being paid back for the bad things you say. Well, you know, if you go back to Robespierre, the guy who invented the terror until he was in fact guillotined himself, he said the springs of popular government and revolution are at once virtue and terror, virtue without which terror is fatal, terror without which virtue is powerless. Terror is nothing other than justice, prompt, severe, inflexible. You're not being beheaded. You're just being held responsible for the things you say. It is therefore an emanation. Terror is an emanation of virtue. It is not so much a special principle as it is a consequence of the general principles of democracy applied to our country's most urgent needs. So you hear all that voice, all those people saying the terror in the street is democracy. It's Robespierre. He says it has been said that terror is the principle of despotic government. Does your government therefore resemble despotism? Yes, as the sword that gleams in the hands of the heroes of liberty resembles that with which the henchmen of tyranny are armed. So, in other words, it's it's not the fact that we're killing people; it's why we're killing people. It's good when you kill people. Uh, Orrin Hatch, you should go read it. He basically says we have to reform our uh, our universities. But that but that argument that it's not the terror is good if it's in the hands of virtue. Overrise. Remember, I talked about begging the question. It begs the question of who is in charge of virtue. And I would say it's the individual conscience, the man who stands up and makes his argument and is not afraid and is not afraid to face all comers. It is not simply the clerisy unleashing terror on our cities to enforce its version of the truth against the individual conscience. We're going to talk about that. We're going to see how that comes to operate in the life of our Attorney General, William Barr. But first, let us talk about ZipRecruiter. I like ZipRecruiter because not only do they help you get good hires and and help— Good people find jobs, uh, but they always like to tell little stories. and I like their little stories about what happens. There's little success stories. They have one today about Housing Wire. Uh, housing Wire needed to hire an ambitious reporter to cover news stories on the U.S. mortgage and housing markets. They turned to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's smart matching technology finds people with the right experience for your job. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And that's how hu- Housing Wire found Alexandra Roja. Alexandra never imagined she could get a reporter job in the midst of the flu crisis. Hiring was frozen, and the idea of looking for a job was discouraging, so she created a profile on ZipRecruiter, and ZipRecruiter matched Alexandra to HousingWire's reporter job because her degree and writing skills were a great fit for the role. HousingWire received her application four hours after they posted the job, and a few weeks later, Alexandra started her dream career. It's a good system. See how ZipRecruiter can help you hire. Try it now for free at ziprecruiter.com slash Claven. That's ziprecruiter.com slash Claven. And always remember never hire anyone who doesn't know how to spell Claven. Um, all right, K L A V A N. Duh. So, Uh, (laughs) So so Bill Barr is not Jesus, and he's not Socrates, and I'm sure he would agree with that. However, he's an honest man in Washington, and it has been remarkable. It has been remarkable to watch the clerisy turn on him for bringing up Obamagate for bringing up the fact that the, this was an, an untoward use of the Justice Department by the Obama administration. Remember, his his Attorney General said, "I am Obama's wingman." Right? Eric Holder said, "I'm Obama's wingman." Barr said today, "No, you're not supposed to be the wingman. You're supposed to be uh, you're supposed to be independent." He put out a an opening statement. He made an opening statement saying, ever since I made it clear that I was going to do everything I could to get to the bottom of the grave abuses involved in the bogus Russiagate scandal, many of the Democrats on this committee have attempted to discredit me by conjuring up a narrative that I am simply the president's factotum who disposes of criminal cases according to instructions judging from the letter inviting me to this hearing. That appears to be your agenda today. And, you know, Uh, The voice of the left right now is perfectly put out by Valerie Jarrett, the hack, who's basically played Barack Obama's conscience. Let's just hear, I I just want you to hear what she had to say about Russiagate.
1: Maybe this was one piece of a bigger puzzle, Uh, but I do know that it's nearly four years ago, and I don't understand why our focus isn't on what's happening right now and today. That's the investigation I'd like to see Well, what's happening right now is we are learning... Valerie, what's happening right now is we are learning the details of what took place. The question I really want to put to you is, what are we doing today? If people want to have an investigation about what happened four years ago, they should do that. But aren't you concerned about what's going on right now? Aren't you worried about the integrity of our upcoming elections? Aren't you worried about how we're going to have a safe and fair election? Yes, that's why I'm asking you this question.
0: This is classic Clinton technique, a classic Clinton technique, stonewall, 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 cover up and then say, oh, that's an old story. Why are you covering it's It's been it's been litigated. What difference at this point does it make? You know that was that was the classic Clinton, Hillary, and Bill Stonewall, Stonewall, and then oh, it's an old story. So you know you've already covered that, and so now you've got this guy Bill Barr who is in office. So the idea about him is that he is going to be the puppet of Donald Trump. He at one point. Well, let's play. He's we've got some of the clips. It's going on as we speak, so I can't get you all of them. Uh, But this is what he said about his relationship with Trump, who, by the way, he didn't even know uh, he was not. He did not have a relationship with before he took office. Cut uh, 13.
1: Criminal cases are handled even handedly based on the law and the facts and with without regard to political or personal considerations. And I can tell you that I've handled criminal matters that have come to me for decision in this way. The president has not attempted to interfere in these decisions. On the contrary, he has told me from the start that he expects me to exercise my independent judgment to make whatever call I think is right, and that is precisely what I've done.
0: This is amazing. And one of the things he said about this, which which was great, because I just I wish I wish more if we had any journalists, they would do this to people. He said, name one time, name one time I have attacked Trump's enemies or helped his friends. And he said, everybody brings up Roger Stone. But in fact, he said Stone should go to prison. He shouldn't go to prison for as long as the uh, prosecutors said, because that was out of keeping with the standards and guidelines of the Justice Department. But he said he he did, he did broke the law and he should go to prison. He said, name one time. And of course, there's no response to that. Whenever you hear someone say, Trump is the greatest danger to our freedoms, you name one time time. You know, I mean, they have to make up this stuff. They have to tell you that it's it's wrong for the federal agents to go in and defend federal buildings while people were rioting. There is no riot. The federal agents started the riot. Federal agents are getting in the way of democracy. This is a a rehearsal uh, for a military takeover of the country. They have to make up this entire story to keep from saying the simple truth that they can't get Trump on any infringement of our constitutional rights. You can get Trump on being a loudmouth. You can get Trump on being impolite. You can get Trump on sending out stupid tweets and more importantly, retweeting stupid tweets. You can get him on all those things if you want, but you can't get him on violating the Constitution, but you can get somebody whose name begins with O. That's the guy who really did start to violate our Constitution and threaten our rights by using the IRS, by misusing the Department of Justice, and that's what they can't stand about Barr. It's either, that's an old story, let's not look at it, or it's you must be evil. Now, the other thing that they were coming after Barr about was just, just amazing. This idea that basically uh, enforcing the law in Portland and Seattle and all these rioting Democrat cities, that this was somehow an infringement of his responsibilities. And Barr's answer to this was such a an incredible uh, moment of truth In a congressional hearing, you know, just to have, you know, you hear these things in op-ed, you'll hear them on this show. But it was shocking to hear the attorney general just say the quiet part out loud. This is cut 12.
1: The threat to black lives posed by crime on the streets is massively greater than any threat posed by police misconduct. The leading cause of death for young black males is homicide. Every year, approximately 7,500 black Americans are victims of homicide. The the vast majority of them, around 90%, are killed by other blacks, mainly by gunfire. Each of those lives matter.
0: So that that is always the the shocking, shocking statistic, uh, because of course what it means is that the police interaction with black people is not primarily guided by racism. Of course, it's not. It is guided primarily by crime in black neighborhoods. And this is a problem. And nobody is saying that black people commit crimes because they're black. That's not the point. And nobody is saying there's not a history of racism in this, in, in all countries and including this country. There is. Uh, and we ha- have to suffer for it more because we ha- let more people in to the center of our country. We let more people rise to the top. I mean, when was the last time you saw you know, a black prime minister of England uh, or a black president of France. That's not something you're going to see in a big hurry. But here you see that we let people in to the center of our power culture. And so we are going to deal more with the wages of our sins. Everybody has the same sins. The sins are not different. Our sins are probably a little less in this regard than other people. But we have to deal with them because we are committed to allowing every American to have a a shot at power, to have the ability to come into the power centers. So we have to be answerable. you know, that that's fine with me as long as we're telling the truth, as long as we're getting our facts straight, and as long as we're making sure that cause and effect is being responsibly directed. Let us listen to Gerald Nadler, the man who said that the riots in Portland are a myth, uh, that Antifa is a myth, uh, the man who uh, promulgated Russiagate. He was just so incompetent. He was... <laughs> That's what I love about the Democrats. They don't throw you out for lying. They throw you out for lying badly, you know. <laughs> it's like it's like the old joke about the French kid who sees his parents making love, and the parents try to explain, you know we were making love, and the French kid says yes and badly, and the thing about Jerry Natler is that he was lying, but badly, so Nancy Pelosi threw him off the uh, lead in the Russian gate thing, and here he is without any responsibility to his past mistakes, without any responsibility to his lies, going after the the probably the most honest man with Pompeo in washington d c
1: again and again you personally have interfered with ongoing criminal investigations to protect the president and his allies from the consequences of their actions. When career investigators and prosecutors resisted these brazen, unprecedented actions, you replaced them with less qualified staff who appear to be singularly beholden to you. The message these actions send is clear. In this Justice Department, the president's enemies will be punished, and his friends will be protected no matter the cost, no matter the cost to liberty, no matter the cost to justice. <laughs>
0: I always love when this like career liar, this guy we know is just a who has lied and lied and lied and lied, who has sent letter after letter demanding evidence that wasn't there, who's come up with absolutely nothing. Three years he held this country hostage to this Russia gate hoax, came up with absolutely nothing. He's lecturing Barr. I always love the look on Barr's face. It's like a cartoonist couldn't have made it up. He always looks like he's just thinking, "What's what's for dinner. (laughs) <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what I'm having for dinner today. Because this looks like he is so tired, sick, and tired of this nonsense. Kaylee McEnany, as always, uh, has the the truth of the matter, and she really puts it forward. This is cut one. Attorney General Barr has done an incredible job and the real problem that Democrats have with Attorney General Barr is that he's actually taking Russiagate seriously. This bogus sham effort that was launched against President Trump when he was just a candidate and went into his administration. Uh, The fact that Bill Barr is looking into why the Obama administration spied on the Trump campaign is their real problem, That is that he is in seek of the truth and that is their problem with Attorney General Barr. You know, it really is. And when you consider the fact, that's, that's just the truth. I mean, that's just the simple fact of the matter. They're after him because he's after them. He's after them because they broke the law. He's after them because they violated the Constitution. He's after them because they misused the Justice Department and they don't like it. So they're castigating him. But what is really important here is, is the press, is the academy, who back up these clowns like Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff, these dishonest little, uh, you know, kind of low lifes who uh, are in our government, they back they're backed up by this massive entertainment industry which is so beautiful you know our, our entertainers are so beautiful they're so good looking they're so talented our people on the on the news many of them very talented uh, Uh, talented, very intelligent, very well-spoken. That's the problem that we have is we have a society that is now antithetical to objective truth. It now says objective truth is a matter of whiteness, which of course is ridiculous. And anybody writing that on a computer should stop using the computer because it was (laughs) invented with objective science. It wasn't just thought into the air. This is the problem. This is, this is the picture of the world that we get from the trial of Socrates. This is the picture that we get from the passion of the Christ. This is the picture of the world. Because this is the world, and it's sad that we have to be living in a time when it's exposed and comes to the fore once again. You want to be a subscriber. You want to be a subscriber to DailyWire.com because it defends us from people who would boycott us. It defends us from people who would come from the outside. It means that you and us and we have a relationship that can't be interfered with by the activists. So you want to subscribe, but some of you are just too damn cheap to get the good all access membership where you can get in the mailbag and stuff like that. No, no. You want to feed your children. You want to pay your rent. Okay. Okay. Be that way. But still, we are going to serve you by giving you the reader's pass, which is a cheaper version of the subscription. It still lets you into a relationship with us of support, which we so appreciate. All all joking aside, it is so important to us that you subscribe and help us out. But this is three bucks a month. It's 99 cents for the first month. You get access to our mobile app. You get push notifications for breaking news and special content. You get to join the community of Daily Wire members who are actively commenting and discussing our content with each other. And you get the ad-free content, which is so important. Mobile, ad-free access to all the Daily Wire news, exclusive op-eds and all of our podcasts and our mobile, op, uh, mobile app for $1 the first month and then 3 bucks after that. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and join today. So, meanwhile, Trump, the evil orange man bad, they've done everything in their power to demonize and yet has really not done anything that I think is so bad. I mean, it's like I said, sometimes he misbehaves. I don't like it when he misbehaves. But really, he was a, you know, until these crises, he was doing a great job. I think he'll do a great job again. I think he, I hope and pray he's reelected. But he's running against a guy, the man who isn't there. Notre Dame says, uh, Notre Dame, I guess here it is, Uh, Notre Dame, the university, says it will not be hosting the first presidential debate scheduled for September due to health concerns. In a statement, the school says that president of the university, Father Jenkins, consulted with the county's health officer and the executive committee of the university board of trustees before he made the decision to pull out as host. Uh, Father Jenkins claims that the small number of students on campus this fall undermine the primary benefit of hosting to provide our students with a meaningful opportunity to engage in the American political process. Father Jenkins is a board member of the Commission on Presidential Debates. So basically, basically, he is sending a message to the other hosts, uh, we better stop these debates. We better stop these debates. He does not want Joe Biden out there being ripped apart by Donald Trump. I'm not saying that's what would happen. I'm saying they're afraid it will happen. Everybody knows that this guy is not, is a standard bearer. He is the happy middle of the road, uh, old fashioned Democrat, liberal face of a radical, radical party who will be in charge 10 minutes after he becomes president. 10 minutes after he becomes president, uh, as Victor Davis Hanson said, they'll start to float stories about how he's suffering. He's courageously suffering with his deficiency and his dementia, and ultimately he's going to have to heroically step down uh, when Chris Wallace was interviewing Donald Trump and they had that whole back and forth and Trump said, where's Joe Biden? Joe Biden, if you were asking these tough questions, I've sat out here with you for an hour. If Joe Biden had to do this, he'd be crying for his mother. Here's what Chris Wallace says happened when they contacted uh, Joe Biden.
1: In our interview last week with president Trump, he questioned whether his democratic opponent, Joe Biden could handle a similar
0: encounter. Well, this week, we asked the Biden campaign for an interview, and they said the former vice president was not available. We'll keep asking every week. Well, we'll keep asking every week, and he'll never show up. He's never going to show up for an hour of questions. Come on. He can't get through 20 minutes of of questions. And, you know, they asked James Carville, the the famous uh, campaign guy who ran the Clinton campaign, uh, they asked him what his advice to Biden would be. And here's his response.
1: Do precisely what you're doing. And don't listen to all these willy-nilly, namby-pamby Democrats that are panicking. He is running a smart campaign. He's doing what he needs to do when he has to. He's drawing a contrast. I I, I really think that I I don't really have a complaint of, of what vice president's doing.
0: I love, I love that you're namby-pamby if you expect the guy to stand up and argue and face your opponent uh, and face uh, qu- questioning. This is a guy running for president of the United States and he's never come out and really done a true interview with somebody asking hostile questions. He's They're now kind of indicating that he may not even debate, that he certainly is not going to debate on a stage where he's facing Donald Trump. Uh, they've started to talk about there not being an audience, which I don't mind. I don't think there should be an audience for a debate. I think the audience actually gets in the way, but that doesn't matter because He's not that once he realizes that that's even worse for him. If you don't have uh, people papering the House, as they say, uh, who will applaud on cue for Biden then Biden is just going to look as bad as he is. It's just he's just going to be naked. You know, the narrative right now in the polls, and I believe it's a, a true narrative. I, I don't know. I'm sure there are discrepancies between reality and the polls There always are. But I don't think the polls are necessarily geared to be dishonest. They may be faulty, but they're not. I don't think they're mostly dishonest. But the narrative is, is that Trump is losing the people who didn't like him in the first place. That's who he's losing. He's losing the people who said, God, I hate this guy, but I hate Hillary Clinton. And I hate Hillary, hate Donald, but I'll go with Donald Trump. At least he's something different. At least it's not, you know, this, we know what Hillary would do. We know she's a crook, so we're going to go with And the idea is that now that now that they're saying, oh, my God, I still hate him. We still hate him. But now we have a chance to go with somebody else. And we like Joe Biden. He's great. Old lunch pail Joe. He's, you know, funny old Joe. And he's great. And uh, this is a point that, that Ben Shapiro has been making for a long time is that people are not afraid of Biden the way they were afraid of Hillary. They don't hate Biden the way they hated Hillary. And that is absolutely true. But it's it's interesting to wonder. It's interesting to wonder if what operated in the last election as a, through a dislike of Hillary that got Trump elected, just barely. But it got him elected because people disliked Hillary. I'm wondering if the distrust of what Biden really is is going to operate that way. Because it's very hard to say that this guy who won't come out of the cellar, this guy who won't do an interview, I mean, he he must get down on his knees. Biden must, get if he can get down on his knees, must get down on his knees every night and thank God for this pandemic. Because what would he be doing if we didn't have the social distancing and the shutdowns and he can't go out and you can't do this and you can't do that? What would he be doing? He would have to come out of his cellar he would have to come. He couldn't make a virtue of hiding away. I mean, James Carville can say this is what he should be doing because it looks like virtue that he's hiding away. But of course, what this guy is, what this guy is, is the beginning of the deluge. He is the beginning of leftist culture taking over again. And, you know, one of the one the people he's Considering his vice president, Karen uh, Bass of uh, California, Uh, she was the one who mourned Fidel Castro. Uh, He was the commandante. He was the commander in chief. And, And look, the left knows all this. The left knows all this. There's a piece in the Atlantic by Peter Nicholas talking about the fact that Trump still has a chance. And Cornell West, the Harvard University race uh, hustler and a Bernie Sanders supporter, said, we have to be true to ourselves and acknowledge that Biden is a mediocre, milquetoast neoliberal centrist that we've been fighting against in the Democrat establishment. Uh, Nina Turner, a co-chair of the Sanders campa- campaign, told this reporter, it's like some- saying to somebody, you have to you have a bowl of crap. She didn't use the word crap, but she said, you have a bowl of crap in front of you and all you've got to do is eat half of it instead of the whole thing. It's still crap. So we know what the left thinks about Joe Biden and we know he's not going to, uh, appoint a vice president of his own stripe. There are people they're talking about, uh, are Susan Rice, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, that lady I was just uh, mentioning before, uh, from Georgia, Bass, uh, Karen Bass. um, These are the people he's thinking about. And the minute he's in office, the move is going to be made to get rid of him. And the whole culture of leftism is coming up behind him. You know, we're seeing this in sports. It's really interesting. Uh, I, I was one of the very few people on the right when Trump started to hound the NFL about people kneeling for the flag, doing the Black Lives Matter thing for the flag. I was one of the few people who said Trump is absolutely right about this. This is where the culture lives. This is what affects the culture. These are the things that we have to stop. This is the stuff that the right has its head up its kazoo about because it doesn't understand that this is the way these things become acceptable. Disrespecting the flag becomes acceptable. A Marxist movement, Black Lives Matter, is painted on uh, sports stadiums now. They pay tribute to Black Lives Matter in the football. So Trump has lost this fight. This is a fight that he has lost right now. And we know that if without him there, there's going to be nobody to fight that fight. You know, Mike Ditka, the famous uh, Chicago Bears coach, he had this comment about people who kneel for the flag.
1: If you can't respect our national anthem, get the hell out of the country then that's the way I feel. Of course, I'm old fashioned, so I'm, I'm only gonna say what I feel. Uh, I think there's a way that you you protest and there's a way you don't protest. You don't protest against the flag, you don't protest against this country who's given you the opportunity to make a living playing a sport that uh, you never thought would, would happen. So I, I don't wanna hear all the crap.
0: So that's, you know, these are the voices and he says he's old fashioned and he's an old guy. uh, But these are the voices that have to be heard and they will not be heard in a Joe Biden administration. And so I just wonder if it's going to start to dawn on people is that the people who say, oh, there's violence where there's violence, the people who say the violence should be stopped, the people who say this is a great country, the people who say the danger to uh, black people is not the police, it's other uh, black people who happen to be criminals, uh, the people who speak the truth will be silenced. Will they vote for that by voting for Joe Biden? Because that's what that vote means. All right. We got to stop. But I will uh, end with a final one final reflection uh, about the fact what we started talking about uh, that the that so- of Socrates and Jesus arguing about the truth. One of the things about uh, truth is the truth has a location. Uh, the sophists who argued that the important thing was not what was true, but whether you could make an argument for either side. That was the sophist argument. You could argue the uh, good side or the bad side. It didn't matter. They were kind of like today's defense attorneys. Um, And the thing about the sophists is they didn't belong to the city. They were wanderers. They were wandering intellectuals. And the thing about the intellectuals today is they are still uh, cosmopolitan and stateless. That's what they believe in, in globalization. Uh, But they are now also... Uh, agents of the state—they're supported by the state. Most of their universities are upheld by the state, and so what we have is these—is uh, a state that wants to be go global, teamed up with intellectuals who. Basically want globalism because they don't believe in the state because they are relativists and they're not people who believe that there is a moral order. Uh, and that is a, an idea that comes from being disenfranchised from a place from being disenfranchised from your body. Your body is a place where the truth lives. So this is absolutely true. And so you see all these attacks on states, on uh, nationalism, nationalism. Uh, nationalism, like everything else, like every ism can go awry, it can become jingoism. But nationalism is basically the belief that in order to protect the individual, you have to have a state, you have to have an institution that will protect the individual. And if you can't do it in the state, if you're going to do it in the globe, what happens when the globe goes bad? What happens when the globe does what all power centers do and seeks to crush the individual, seeks to crucify Christ, seeks to uh, poison Socrates? What are you going to do? If the power is global and that's why we believe in a nation, it's not it's not like, oh, we believe in a nation. I mean, everybody should have a love of just a natural love of their mother country. I understand that. But we believe in the nation because the nation protects the rights, the, the rights that are the basis of this nation's founding. And these people who are global, they always have this kind of idea that they're speaking some great truth because truth is universal. Truth is universal, but it needs institutions and nations to defend it. That's why we defend the church, not because the church is necessarily uncorrupt, not because the church is necessarily right, Because, the, but the church is an institution that defends the conscience when it's working right. The nation is an institution that defends the conscience and the individual when it's working right. And without it, the power is general, the power is universal, and then who can stand against it? The mailbag is tomorrow. Get your questions in, gather your problems around you, say farewell, a fond farewell to all your problems. They'll all be solved right here on The Andrew Claven Show. I am Andrew Klavan. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director is Pavel Wodoski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup or head and makeup by Nika Geneva. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production, Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family faith. Those are fundamental, and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen.